everyone. I'm Mark Foley, and this is The Journey. We're picking up from the last segment on the story I was telling you called 1223 and Lessons on Leadership. You remember the first two lessons. The first was about finding a future for an organization, and the second was the role of faith in leadership. Now, here's the third part of the story. It's a practical experience in what happens when leader types get out of the way of God. It occurred in December of 2009. I'm privileged to participate with a number of guys in a weekly Bible study called Outback. Each year, we would host other men's Bible studies in the Mobile area for a pre-Christmas gathering, usually at 6 o'clock in the morning on the Wednesday before Christmas. So I was involved in a phone conversation with a small group of men who were planning the event. The date had been selected, December 23rd. And we expected the gathering to outsize the church hall in which we regularly met. So one of the guys said, let's get the convention center. That'll hold us, and I'll cover the cost. Then another guy said, with that kind of space, we'll need a well-known speaker. We could have between five and 600 people. Now, the hall in the convention center seats 1,800. Someone else asked if we had heard of the Manhattan Declaration, a document recently developed by several key national leaders as a call to Christians to return to their convictions. Another guy said, hey, Chuck Colson was one of the authors. Why don't we get him to come speak? Well, I saw a problem with that suggestion. Guys, I said, Chuck Colson's a nationally known speaker. And and this Manhattan Declaration thing has made him even more in demand. We're three weeks out. And we're talking about the day before Christmas Eve. That's impossible. Then another thought drove into my mind, and I voiced it which is exactly why we should take a shot at it. An acquaintance of mine in Birmingham was also one of the Manhattan Declaration authors, and I offered to contact him to ask his help in reaching Colson. Others volunteered to start arrangements for the convention center, advertising, transportation. I mean, we were on a roll. Later, a friend and I were creating the text of an invitation to be emailed to Chuck Colson. And I wondered aloud, listen, we got to tell him what to expect. How many people do you think we can get in there? He said, you think we could get a thousand? Sure, why not, I responded. So we wrote to Colson and told him we could generate an audience of a thousand people. We also wrote that we would send an airplane to pick him up. Now, we didn't have a thousand people lined up, and we sure didn't have an airplane. We did, however, have confidence that God was leading. So we sent the email, and I called my friend to Birmingham. What my friend did not say when he heard what we were trying to do in so short a time, but what I could definitely hear in his voice was, are you men crazy? I preempted the question. Look, I promise we're not nuts, and tell Colson that no one here is named Bubba, just in case he's curious. Okay, he said, I'll talk to him. But Mark, don't get your hopes up. We sweetened the deal by asking another friend, then United States Senator Jeff Sessions, if he would call Colson to endorse our sanity, and he agreed and made the call. So a group of highly capable Type A individuals had done what we do best. 
We had crafted a fine plan. We assigned the responsibilities, and we described the outcome. All that happened on a Friday less than three weeks before December 23rd. The following Tuesday, my wife and I were returning to Mobile from Atlanta when I received a call from Mike O'Neill, our selected leader for the event. He had just received an email from Colson. Mike reported, he said no. Christmas time with family, just no way could be in Mobile that morning. As the word began to spread, this group kicked into high gear. We had an event to get off the ground. We needed a speaker. Cell phones were bouncing off. Satellites, emails were shooting through the ether, and our brains were smoking, but there were no takers for the speaker slot at 6 a.m. on the day before Christmas Eve, two weeks away. I called back a little later. As we talked about the situation, I said, Mike, maybe we're going at this the wrong way. We have a group of serious leader types trying to make something happen. And I don't think that's God's way of doing things. What if we just stop for three hours and ask God what he wants to happen on the morning of December 23rd? I was driving somewhere in West Georgia. Mike was in Mobile. And the Lord was beside us both when we simply stopped to ask him what he wanted to happen. While we were on the phone voicing that prayer, a call cut in on Mike's cell phone. He said, Foley, I got to go. That's Senator Sessions' office. Mike called back 45 minutes later. Colson is in. Here's what happened while I was waiting for Mike to call back. Senator Sessions' office called Mike to let him know that Colson's office was looking for him. While he was on the phone with the senator's office, another call came in. Mike answered to a voice that asked, Mr. O'Neill, will you please hold for Chuck Colson? And so it was that my friend Mike, a fearless man of God, who would take on a bear with a pocket knife for a cause he believed to be right, found himself talking to Chuck Colson, who asked, Who are you people, and why can't I get you off of my mind? Forty-five minutes later, Mike, having carefully explained, we're not crazy, this is something God is doing, and you need to be here. Dr. Colson agreed to come. So now we had a deal. We had to get some plans together, fast. We're not a formal organization, just a group of guys. But now we had a major event on our hands. I told Mike, it's real now. We've got to call it something. I thought aloud, look, this is going to happen on the 23rd of December. Why don't we just call it 1223? It came off the top of my head. had no idea how significant that thought would become. The next morning, our leadership team met. Richard Stimson, another warrior for Christ with a pocket knife, asked, where did you come up with that title? Mike and I exchanged a glance And he responded with a shrug, it's the date. Richard, who had been leafing through his Bible, said, There's another 1223. Let me read something to you. He looked down to the open book in his hands, and he read from John 
chapter 12, verse 23, which says, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. In the immediate stillness of that moment, my eyes locked on Richard's, then Mike's, and on each of the men in the room. It was clear that we shared the realization that something special was happening and that God had just affirmed it and that we were in the middle of it. From that point on, that group of serious leader types did nothing in preparation for the event without careful prayer and clear direction from the Lord. There were times in the process at which we discussed essential logistical or financial decisions that deferred because we did not have a clear indication to proceed. We were learning God's way of management. We were now just two weeks away. We had a hall and a speaker, but we didn't have a crowd and we didn't have an airplane. After I heard Richard read that scripture, I turned to the man who had volunteered to secure the airplane and said, Hey, don't worry. You'll find the plane. I promise. The next afternoon, a Beechcraft King Air was donated for the job, and the men started spreading the word about the 1223 event. On December 22nd, Mike and I flew to Florida to get Chuck Colson. On the flight back to Mobile, Dr. Colson said, Now remind me what time we start tomorrow. We said 6 o'clock. In the evening? No, morning. Are you men crazy, he said. Nobody's going to come listen to me at 6 o'clock in the morning. No doubt about it. It did sound crazy, but we were learning how to trust in God-crazy things. The pre-dawn morning of December 23, 2009, was crisp and clear in Mobile. In the dark and stillness beside the Mobile River, I looked toward the interstate leading to the convention center, and headlights formed a path of white as far as I could see. It was the final scene from Field of Dreams replayed. Over 1,800 people came that morning. Chuck Colson talked about the Manhattan Declaration. He talked about a country in need of God. He talked about the church needing to wake up. And he talked about a war for a culture. But for me, the all-important lesson from that morning was understanding how God worked when a group of highly capable men put themselves completely under His lead and abandoned trying to make something happen in their own power. That event in December 2009, the title it carried, 1223, and the experience of those men were on my mind as time moved closer to the next University of Mobile Board of Trustees meeting, at which I intended to present a plan for the university's future. I've been waiting for God, and I'd learned much from the Scripture and from experiences. The pieces began to come together into a plan for the university and for a nation. Could the Lord use a small university in North Mobile to influence a nation? What might happen if thousands of Christians learned to wait on God and put into action the things they learned during that waiting? Could a city or a nation actually be transformed? 
Well, here's the vision statement adopted by the Board of Trustees for the University of Mobile 10 years ago. By the year 2020, the University of Mobile will be a nationally recognized voice and transforming influence in the revitalization of Christian faith and character in America. And that is an absolutely impossible thing for a small 1700 enrollment college in North Mobile to attempt, unless God assigned it, and I believe He did. In the years since, I've had opportunity to meet with three former presidents of the United States, four presidential candidates, a former Secretary of State, two senators, several international leaders, and leaders in entertainment, music, and industry, governors, members of Congress, and countless other leaders about how graduates from that one small school, having mastered a body of knowledge according to their respective areas of study, who know how to think, who know what they believe and why they believe it, who have the courage to live and work according to that belief, and who have the willingness and the skill to use their influence in appropriate and effective ways are scattered literally around the world in a wide variety of professional roles, and they are changing the world around them every day. Their influence continues to expand. In the decade that has passed since the days I've recounted in this story, there's been change. I retired from the university after an 18-year run as president and started a consulting business. Some of the men involved in planning the Colson event have aged out of active roles. Some have been reassigned to other areas of engagement and influence, including political office at city, state, and national levels. Some have moved to other cities with the 1223 experience alive in their minds. The influence of those men continues to roll outward. But the enduring lesson of 1223 remains constant. Leaders will always search for a fresh future. It will always be discovered through faith so strong as to know it will happen. And those leaders who see it fulfilled are those who understand that they need God far more than God needs them. So, yes, I reject the notion of impossible. In fact, I aim for it. Thanks for listening. See you next time on The Journey.